Alright, hello everybody. Uh, this is Keith Gottschuk and this is this pod. It is July 28th, 2009 and I have to, I have to be honest with you. I, I have a background in print journalism and radio and I'm going to have to do two of these things a week to keep up with the climate news. There is just so much here that um, I have two pages of it. A lot of this I am going to get through very quickly. I'll probably call a break in the middle of it. It's just, it's just coming fast and furious, folks. Um, and it is greatly upsetting and worrying uh, with what is going on. And one of the other things I wanted to say about this podcast and this, this YouTube uh, this YouTube video is I see a lot of climate talk uh, podcasts and YouTube videos that have uh, good conversation with people that I want to hear. And then I look at it when I start, and it's an hour and 15 minutes. Okay, uh, here's the thing. I don't know too many people who have an hour and 15 minutes to devote to pay full attention to a podcast. So we're always going to try and keep this under 30 minutes as much as possible. All right, let's get going. Uh, most of you probably have heard of the heat wave in Europe last week. I'll give you just these headlines. Heat wave sets new German record second day running all-time hottest temperature in Germany. Netherlands hits a new all-time high record of 41.7 degrees Celsius on Thursday. Paris records its hottest temperature in history. Edinburgh breaks all-time high temperature. The U.K. had its second hottest day in history and hottest ever July day, excuse me, with 38.1 centigrade, which is over 100 degrees, which was recorded in Cambridge. Belgium has also set a new national heat record for the second time in as many days. Now, one of the things that, that I found was a blog written by somebody in the Netherlands that was commenting about this. And I'm going to give you um, the address. It's www.rin.com. T-R-A-H dot N-L. And what I, I liked about it, and I, I put it in my uh, my blog, which is also called Last Dance, and I'll try and make sure this time I get all the um, I get all the links in the um, podcast page and YouTube page and all those pages. But what struck me with what he wrote was we think, well, that was a damn hot day, and we made it through it, so yay for us. But it has more of a effect that lingers and doesn't it's not apparent at the time this is what he wrote the loss of human life will probably reveal itself next week when the weekly mortality figures are released the loss of human potential will take a bit longer young children exposed to extreme heat suffer subtle brain damage that can be measured through reduced personal income at age 30. that's something i didn't know Children playing at a summer camp had to be hospitalized because their brains reached temperatures of up to 42 degrees centigrade. Compared to us humans, many other life forms are even more sensitive. Male insects exposed to extreme heat have their fertility damaged, and insects exposed to consecutive heat waves are practically sterilized. This is our second heat wave in a short period. Insects around the country have been decimated by two consecutive droughts during the summer, and now an extreme heat wave that is unprecedented in the historical record. And from what I understand, uh, the United States, our time may be coming due again. So let me um, go on here. It's, it's, it's all kind of hard to, to take in because it's all seemed to happen so fast while we talk about abrupt climate. From USA Today, fueled by record-breaking warmth in Europe, the U.S. and the Arctic 
As supercharged global warming, scientists say July 2019 will be the hottest month of the Earth since records began in 1880. That's this July, which has three more days to run. In other words, of the past 1,675 months beginning in January 1880, during the administration of President Rutherford Burchard Hayes, July 2019 will likely be the hottest. Such extreme heat is the calling card of human-caused climate change. This is a quote, climate change made in such a record-hot month far more likely, made such a record-hot month far more likely, said Penn State University climate scientist Dr. Mike Interview. If you're not following Michael Mann, you should. From Vice Motherboard, this is something that gets under my skin. Under Trump, 26% of climate change references have vanished from .gov sites. A new report documents two years of science being scrubbed from government websites. Uh, you know, I could go on a tirade here. I don't, I don't have the time. This is a crime against humanity. It, uh, it hurts science. It hurts research. It hurts the public's right to know. And as a former journalist, this really... Again, Trump is one of the people who are taking an almost childlike glee at pile-driving the human race into the ground. From the Guardian in the UK, animals failing to adapt to speed of climate crisis, study finds. Scientists warming, uh, excuse me, warn of alarming lag between human-driven season shift and animal behavioral change. So I guess the best way of illustrating that is certain birds are appearing later, staying later. The birds, they don't know what season it is. They don't know when to fly south. They don't know when to fly north. Uh, I can only imagine what uh, the groundhogs, the squirrels, and the rest of them are doing. Deer around here are are terrible. There's many of them in this urban environment, and they're starving. But, but basically, when it gets warmer earlier and stays warmer later, it confuses animals. And we'll just leave it at that, okay? I, I, have no, I make no bones about not being a scientist. I'm, I'm learning along with you. New Republic reports the Amazon is one of the largest forested areas in the world. Deforestation has been a concern now for about 50 years as an area the size of Texas has been slashed and burned. Now, the Amazon is a giant carbon sink. It helps absorb the carbon that we pump up into the atmosphere. It's also one of the most biodiverse places on Earth. What... Uh, Many policymakers and President Bolsonaro, who, along with Trump, is one of these people who are gleefully pile-driving humanity into an early grave. If another fifth of the Amazon were to be destroyed for farmland or development, it could trigger something called a dieback, where the forest would collapse on itself, creating a carbon bomb released in the atmosphere. It would release the equivalent of 140 years of human activity. It's amazing. From the BBC, I wanted to read this statement. Tim Flannery, the chief counselor of Climate Council Australia, warned about the pace of climate change. And that's what this is all about. He told Hard Talk Sean Lay, we are seeing a change of such a large scale, it is hard to find an analogy to it in the previous fossil record. And of such speed, it's happening 30 times faster than the melting of the ice the last ice age. If we are crossing the road and you are getting a boy on a bicycle coming towards you slowly, it is not a big deal. We can get around it. Now, if you've got a huge semi coming towards you at 100 miles an hour, you know you'd better get out of the way. 
And the skeptics, quite frankly, they need to stop threatening my children. They need to get out of the way so we can get some solutions in place. There's a lot to take in in that statement, and I'm going to come back. Uh, we'll just take a break now. I'm going to collect my thoughts, get some water, but we'll continue. And this is Last Dance with Keith Dodge-Chuck. Here with Last Dance podcast and YouTube. I'm Keith Godschuk. I'm just a guy, just a journalist, just scared to death about all these things that are happening to us right now. It's all about offering information and coping techniques as best I can. I uh, as before the break, I was I was reading this piece that was picked up and it'll be uh, from Tim Flannery, the chief counsel. And at the end, he said, and the skeptics, quite frankly, they need to stop threatening my children. They need to get out of the way so we can get some solutions in play. And that's where I've kind of gone off the rails myself. A lot of the chatter online, I'm finding it hard to hold back uh, when I see some of the de denialism, when I see some of the, the tribalism connected with Trump, um, a lot of what I people like. I combine Christian and fascist, and I call them crystal fascists who deny climate change. Uh, it's bad enough what you've done and what you're doing, but now you're, do you're doing it to all of us. And that's, um, that's where I have the issue. There's a, um, on Twitter, there is uh, a man named Gerald Cutney. You will find often under the hashtag climate brawl, but if you're not following him on Twitter, I would suggest you do so. Um, he is uh, from uh, Ottawa, Ontario. And he's calling for people to simply state the science and not get into a pissing contest with these people. And he retweeted what I, what I said to him. I said, it's hard for me. When I see this, I can't help but shoot back some of my most well-crafted insults at, at these people. That, to me, they are aiding and abetting crimes against humanity much like the Trump administration is doing in, in many, many ways. And I said, I finished my tweet by saying, but I'm borderline, so how what can one expect? Anyway, we've got some more items I want to get to here about Extinction Rebellion. Um, they need to get off their um, airplanes if they can. They're piling up a lot of air miles, which is kind of defeating the purpose uh, of some of the leadership. So a lot of the Americans here who are watching me are probably wondering or listening to me, where's Extinction Rebellion in America? Well, there's not much yet of Extinction Rebellion in America. 
there are thousands in the UK and Europe, but a few days ago, a handful of Extinction Rebellion Americans glued themselves to the front door of the Capitol. Now, did anybody hear about this? I bet you did. They received zero mainstream media exposure, and reactions from legislators who had to step over them were pretty much what you would expect. Representative Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana, former vice chair of the House Subcommittee on the Environment, mocked the group on Twitter, posting a video of himself appearing to duck under a protester's arm to get through, and said, Super gluing yourself to a door is a very dumb way to protest. Recently, as you may have seen, half a million people took to the streets in Puerto Rico to get their president to resign. And again, why can't we do that here? Well, I need to make this point. Why don't Americans take to the streets like that? Well, there are a number of reasons. Number one, we're kind of chained to our workplaces. Most Americans don't have that kind of time off. And if they have it, most don't have the kind of money to get to D.C. or wherever they're going to have these protests. A lot of people have family responsibilities. It's very difficult for Americans. It's a big country, and it's hard to get places. Now, if you get a local um, a local protest, then you have other, other issues that, that go with that. One is um, we know that the police infiltrate, like Antifa, which is uh, now apparently uh, President Trump wants to put Antifa on the list of how do you put it? There's so there's so much Orwellian newspeak nowadays. I can't even keep up up with it. Domestic terrorists. Okay, I made a point. Anybody can be Antifa. If they want to. But what about the Proud Boys? Okay. What about Patriot Prayer? You know, remember Charlottesville? Those guys are organized. You've got to pass muster to be on on their, on their groups, right? Any anybody can throw on black and say I'm Antifa. That's how that that's how spread out it is. And and uh, I'm groping for words I can't find here, decentralized. But anyway, so they'll get infiltrated, and then there's always the possibility of police violence, which uh, has come with a lot of demonstrations, mostly against the left, while the right gets police protection. Um, Here's the other thing. Since we have this glorious thing in America called employment at will, you're putting your job at risk if your boss doesn't quite agree with giving you the time off for protesting as part of Extinction Rebellion. Is that's going to be seen as a disruptive agitation organization in this country? I'm going to tell you that right now. If Extinction Rebellion gets big in America, it's going to be attacked. It's going to be attacked by the government. It's going to be attacked by the police. It's going to be attacked by the media. It's going to be very difficult. You go to a demonstration, maybe you land up getting arrested. Now you have an arrest record. Then you get fired. Then you have the inalienable American right to live under an overpass with your kids for the rest of your life. There's a lot to lose here for people. Um, and, and there's a lot of fear about those things, about marching, about the way the police treat protesters in this country, about the way the media and ordinary people regard protesters in this country. This is a perfect country. Why would you be protesting anything? You know, it's back to the 60s. You're just a bunch of long-haired, dirty hippies who hate America. Now, these people are trying to save the world. I wish them the best. But, again, I don't, I don't see Extinction Rebellion getting a lot of traction in America. And that's sad. Now, maybe, maybe it's too late. As I've made the point in a lot of other respects, we're seeing things happen so quickly. But I am never going to hold it against people who are doing all they can 
to stop this, to bring attention to the issue, to ram it down the throats of their government if they have to. Let me, let me check my time here. So like I said, I don't want to go too late. We're already 21 minutes. What are the things that, that I want to talk about more in depth later on? Uh, by the way, Vice, um, Vice.com runs a lot of excellent articles on climate change and abrupt climate change. And there was an article back on July 11th that caught my attention. And it's titled, Climate Despair is Making People Give Up on Life. And it's, uh, they talk about the summer of 2015 when a woman living in Kitchener, Ontario, Meg Rutten Walker, 37-year-old former teacher, was talking about the stress she feels as the weather is getting warmer up there, down here, everywhere. She said, I think my anxiety reached a peak. It felt like there was nowhere to go, and although she had spoken to her primary care doctor about anxiety, she hadn't thought to you know, seek help for her mental health. Suddenly, she was contemplating self-harm. This is a quote. Though I don't think I would have hurt myself, I didn't know how to live with the fear of the apocalypse, I guess. My son was home with me, and I had to call my friend over to watch him because I couldn't even look at him without breaking down. She eventually checked herself into an overnight mental health facility. The article goes on to say, Her case is extreme, but many people are suffering from what could be called climate despair, a sense that climate change is an unstoppable force that will render humanity extinct and renders life in the meantime futile. As journalist David Wallace-Wells noted in his 2019 bestseller, The Uninhabitable Earth, for most who perceive an already unfolding climate crisis and intuit a more complex metamorphosis of the world to come, the vision is a bleak one, often pieced together from perennial eschatological imagery inherited from existing apocalyptic texts like the Book of Revelation. Understood. Again, this is something I'm going to pick up later on. Because there's, and I know, I know the right's going to say, you you liberals, you leftists, you guys are so weak. Nothing's even happening. And here you're running to your shrinks, popping pills because the earth is getting warmer. You know, I mean, you can go on, you can go on Twitter and Facebook and read all this bullshit coming from the right. But this is, this is a real problem. There are a lot of people and people say, well, Keith, what's with you? How can you do this? How can, how can you do all the stuff you do online? your blog, this podcast, YouTube, whatever. And so I'm going to explain that a little bit, but this is the sort of thing I want to talk about later. I'm pretty upfront about my mental illness and borderline personality disorder. I have PTSD. I have generalized anxiety disorder, so I, I can understand where this woman is coming from. Okay. There came a time uh, when, I re you know, when I came to some conclusions that the, the, the future wasn't going to be all that good, even under the best case scenarios. And what I found, and this is simply for me, was the things that were keeping me up at night, all the petty little things about job and, and personality and, and all the stuff I've been carrying around for all these years that gave me all these worries and neurosis and everything, they just fell away. They just fell away. Something like this really crystallizes the mind. Now, understand also that I'm, I'm on a number of medications, and there's a trade-off with the medications I'm on. Number one, if you know anything about borderline, they're occasional, you know, you get these triggering mechanisms. You can go into a rage. Um, I don't want to get too deep into it. You can look it up. I'll have more on this later. But what the, the medications have done is taken away the ragey me, at least interpersonally. 
I haven't blown up in front of an, uh, of an actual human being now in about a year. Uh, I end up doing it on the internet. It's safer in a way. <laughs> it's not It's not something I'm really proud of, but my attitude is if I'm getting angry at climate deniers, if I'm getting angry at these people, they deserve it. Okay. The trade-off from that is, yes, I can handle these issues. Yes, I could talk about these issues. Yes, I can work on these issues without the shaking anxiety that I had before. But I also have what's known as anhedonia, which is the inability to feel joy. And that's the trade-off that I deal with. But when I thought about it, I said, well, this means that I can deal with these issues without losing my nerve. And I think if I can do that, then I can help by getting information out there, by talking about how we can ease people's anxiousness and pain, find a way of working toward resiliency. I know these are psychological terms, but, but they work. They're appropriate. I know I, I'm, on, I'm on two Facebook groups that are dealing with this issue. You should see some of the posts there of people with children. And imagine that for a second. You look at all this stuff happening and you're looking at your kids. What are you going to do? How are you going to protect them? If the worst comes to pass. And this is something I think we, we really need to talk. The faith communities need to deal with this. The, uh, the psychiatric community is starting to deal with this. This is going to be a major, major issue. There's so many things. I can just scratch the surface now in the time that I have. So we'll leave it at that. And again, I'll have, I'll have links to a lot of this. Please check out my, my blog. Um, it's also called uh, Last Dance. Well, all I can say is uh, maybe we'll do more of these than, than one a week. But for heaven's sakes, take care of your mental health. Don't let this stuff get to you. If you have to, back away from that internet. Back away from that computer. Put your phone down. Do what I do. Before I came down here to do this podcast on YouTube, I was up on my porch watching the birds, watching the summer. Having a cigar and some Kool-Aid. That's my zen. Find your zen. Find what relaxes you without medication. But I'll see you next time. Keith Gottschalk. Last dance. Take care of yourself. Underground and in the sky Animals and birds who live nearby Are the lies